All right. Good morning, New Life. Could you guys stand with me? We're going to read the scripture right now. We're going to, we've been in, in Ephesians for a few weeks, and today we're going to read Ephesians 5, 21, 6, um, 9. So starting in Ephesians 5, submit one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the, of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ has loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word, and to the present her to himself as a radiant church, present herself as a radiant church, sorry, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. Who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For the reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing, this, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will re re reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both the master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Would you remain standing as we pray? Lord, your word is like a sword, and it cuts down into the depths of our lives. And sometimes, Lord, it, it cuts things out, the things that, that you want to convict us of. Your word brings those things out. And other times, Lord, it's to put something new inside of us that is good and that is holy. Like you, Lord, the good surgeon, cutting into our lives, bringing us life. You are good and you are holy, and we trust you and your word. We pray this in your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. All right, you may be seated. So I was at our uh, New Life Manitou uh, team meeting th this week, and we read this passage, Submit to One Another Out of Reverence for Christ. And Steve, wherever he's at, he uh, did the announcements for us. He said, oh, now what does that mean? How can that work if everyone all the time is submitted to one another? And I thought in my head, like, if you've ever been in the situation where you go to open the door for somebody, and somebody else opens the door for you, and you're both standing there like, 
no, you first. And, and they said, no, you first. No, I insist. Imagine this, like submitting to one another for like a half hour of like, no, you first. Age before beauty. No, please, beauty before age. No, no, I insist. No, I doubly insist. And you're just standing there saying, you first, you first. That's ridiculous. Nothing would ever get done. And in that, I would say, that doesn't sound like this passage. What that sounds like is stubbornness, like people just trying to be silly and being stubborn. And so this passage says to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And when someone offers you something, someone bakes you something and it's nice and beautiful and hands it to you and and you're like, oh no, I want to submit. I don't want to take anything from you. That would be ridiculous. Receiving is a way of submitting, don't you think? Me and this this role as as a pastor, I often think, um, I don't think, how can I rule over all of you as a congregation? How can I put you in your place? That is not ever what I think. Instead, I think, how can I serve this body? And here we are uh, on Memorial Day weekend, the faithful uh, servants of the Lord showing up. How can I serve this congregation? How can I bring others to the Lord that they might serve him, that they might be righteous and holy? How can I serve here? I think our service industry has spoiled us in in some ways. We have a wonderful service industry. Maybe some of you are uh, waitresses or waiters or in some sort of service, and it's wonderful. But at the end of the day, you know, if you do extra uh, serving to someone, you, of course, would want a, a bigger tip. That's a part of the deal. And that comes across sometimes as, well, that's, that's what you, you deserve. You know, if you do a good job waiting tables, you do your job, you do it really well, then, goodness, you better receive a tip. And if you don't receive a tip, then it's like, why'd they stiff me? Did I not do a good enough job? I think about uh, a story that uh, my wife and I got to travel uh, a couple years ago to a couple cities in Europe. It was wonderful. We, we left the kids with grandparents in Minnesota. And one of the cities we got to visit was Rome. And at the end of the trip, we, went, we had to go from Rome to the airport, which seems a lot easier than it should. So we went to the train station. It's just confusing. There's kiosks, not people. It's in Italian. And we finally get to the English menu, and we're just lost. Like, which, which train do we get here? Uh, it's confusing. And someone, I thought it was just a fellow traveler, said, can I help you? And he's like, sure. You know, we're trying to just hop on this train to get to the airport. And so he was like, oh, let me show you. And he put in the things. And he said, now you put in your money. We put in our money. And it spit out the, the tickets, and it spit out some change. And then he said, now you have to validate it. And so we went over, and there's other, it's a very confusing process. We validated it, like stamped it, and put a hole in it. Who knew you had to do all that? And then, and then he were like, do you know where your train is? We have no idea. So he showed us where the train was. And then as we were saying goodbye, thank you so much, it was like five minutes of his time, he said, can I have 20 euros for helping you? And I was like, what? <laughs> really? Um, I thought, uh, 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 what? In 20 euros, about a little more than $20, and it was five minutes of his time. And I was like, uh, this, is, this is weird. Just put a bad taste in my mouth. Like, like I thought you were just helping me as, like, as a friend, as like someone who was nice. And, and instead, like at the end of this awkward conversation, I think I gave him five euros, which was still like, geez, that's kind of a lot of money just for someone helping. And it, it's this kind of serving, that when you, when you serve in expecting uh, to get something from someone else, that is not what Paul here is saying to do. He's saying to serve. Wherever you are at, wherever you are in life, serve. Take the example that, that Jesus gives us. Jesus is the great code breaker. Whatever codes there were in society, Jesus breaks those. He is God. That's what we believe as a congregation. That is what we hold to. That is our hope. That is what we profess, that Jesus is God. 
He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He is the Almighty One. Amen? Amen. Amen. And yet, when he came, he served. He, he took on the role of a servant. The way he came into the world, what he did touching lepers, people who had skin diseases. At that time, no, no idea about how these diseases were spread. And Jesus touches a leper and heals him. Jesus, uh, the people who were serving him, his disciples, he comes and he takes their feet and washes them. I mean, take, think about like a gross job. That would be a horrible job to wash people's feet, especially in the ancient world where people had didn't bathe regularly and their feet is covered in dust and dirt and gross feet stuff. And Jesus kneels down and washes his disciples' feet. Should, Jesus should be the one, you know, with authority, you know. People should be submitting to him. He's God himself. And yet he shows us the example of submitting and serving. And in this passage, there's 21 verses that, that Craig just read, quite a long passage. In those 21 verses, Jesus Christ is mentioned 12 times. And if you count the pronouns, 15 times Jesus is mentioned in this passage. So it's all about Jesus, how we are to submit to one another. We are to submit like Christ for his sake. So let's get something out of the way. He, in this passage, talks about slaves and masters. And if you've ever heard this passage like I have, I remember the first time hearing it like, whoa, is, is, are we okay with slavery? Like, whoa, what's going on here? So let's talk about that one. For Even though it's listed last, let's talk about it first. And Paul is writing to a culture that had slaves. That's just the way it was in this ancient world. Paul is not taking on the institution of slavery here in Ephesians 5. He does take it on. In another book, uh, Philemon, if you were to read the book of Philemon, you would see Paul saying to Philemon, you know, here's a slave that you have, set him free and welcome him as a brother in Christ. Paul is not for the institution of slavery. And if we back up a couple verses from the verses we read today, last week we, we talked about Ephesians, uh, the first half of the book of chapter 5, and we said there's this, there's this verse in there that says, be careful how you live. Remember this? If you remember, anybody remember that? Uh, we, we talked about, I talked about Jay, our firstborn son, and as soon as he began walking, we were always saying, careful, Jay, careful, and he'd be walking like three feet from a curb, and we said, careful, be really careful, Jay, and he took that on as his own little mantra, and just walking around, careful, Jay, careful, Jay, careful, Jay, doing his own little thing, and I said, that's how we are to live. Why? Because Paul says, be careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, because you remember that verse? Because the days are evil. So I don't think Paul here is saying the institution of slavery is just wonderful and great. I think he's saying in this system, in life that we live, there are dark and evil things like the institution of slavery. And yet when you're in it, he's writing to slaves, he's writing to, to, to people who have slaves. He is saying, he begins with this saying, saying, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Slaves to your masters. And masters, he says this, in the same way. Submit to one another. Serve. Look for ways to respect one another. Which in this time, Paul must have just been breaking down barriers and codes as he said that. Because in this time, other household codes in the secular ancient world said, you have to make your slaves submit. And here Paul is saying, Find ways to respect your slave. Why? Because you have a master that is over you. I think this, this has applications for us in 2017 that, that we all have bosses, whether we work. Everyone has a boss of some kind. 
And I, I think about specifically the military, they, you know, the, the chain of command, the order. And on this day, Memorial Day, I, I just wanted to take a second and, and ask if, if you have served in the military or are serving, would you mind raising your hand just as a, to give you thanks? Let's thank these people. Thank you. Um, I think uh, in the military, my, my dad was in the Air Force, and so I have a, a sense of, you know, the, the chain of command. And I um, think about p- people and, and their orders and, and the way of the military life, and it's, it seems like there's such an order, a structure, that it could lead towards, I've been in jobs, I know, where the boss is really mean to everyone, except when their boss is around. Like when the, the boss, like the, the head manager is around, everyone's so nice and, and the shift manager's like, hello boss, how are you? Can I do, can I, can I fold your laundry? Can I give you a coffee? And then as soon as that boss leaves, they start barking commands at everyone that's their level, everyone that's below them, and they just become monsters. Paul says, do not do that. Do not do that in any circumstance. Find ways to respect the people that are under you. Find ways to lift them up. He says this, he ends this passage, Ephesians 6, 9, was, was saying, don't show favoritism. The people that are under you, treat them with respect, for God does not distinguish between people on the basis of status. Let's talk about wives and husbands now. Paul opens this passage talking about wives and husbands. Oftentimes people um, want to start uh, ma- mainly husbands, they, want, they like the verse 22, and it says, wives, submit to your husbands. And yet, there's a verse right before that one, and in the Greek, Sarah, Sarah mentioned this, that, that every translation fails in some way, that this passage was originally written in Greek, and it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, and in the Greek, it, it just says, wives to your husbands. So if you were to, to start with wives to your husbands, Wives to your husbands, what? You really need that first verse that says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I've, I've read this passage many times at weddings. I, I was counting last night about how many weddings I've done. Before uh, being a pastor here in Manitou, I was the college uh, pastor and associate pastor at New Life North for the, for the young adults. And it's usually that season of life where people get married. And so I've done a lot of weddings. I counted last night, and I think I've at least done 75 weddings and done a lot of premarital counseling. And I can always tell, not because it's rocket science, but because it's pretty easy to tell. Like when you're sitting in front of a couple... And they're all happy. They're, that's just, they're getting married. They're happy. They're, they're, love is blindness, right? But, but marriage, as they say, is the revealer of truth. Love is blindness, but marriage helps you actually see. So anyways, I, I sit in front of couples, and, and so, sometimes we go through uh, the premarital process, uh, the premarital counseling, and it's easy to tell whether the marriage is kind of going to work. And it's not because that it's, it's rocket science. It's because... I usually just think, how well does this couple serve one another? How um, committed are they to the relationship? Because everyone, when they're getting married, it's especially young, they're, they're just blind. They're, they're blind to the love. They're happy. They're, everything's great. And so I'll give them, you know, why don't you do this as an assignment? And some couples just laugh it off like, oh, we'll be fine. We don't need to do any assignments. We don't need to do any work. And those are the couples that I, I'm a little worried about right from the get-go. Like, they're not willing to submit to anything. They're just in love. And, and I would say there's something missing there. There's something that says that, that 
the husband should serve the wife. The wife should serve the husband. Paul here is writing to women in a time period in a culture where they were beaten down in their, their own society. It just was the way it was. The days were evil, as, as Paul mentions earlier. And if a wife was to catch a husband in infidelity, um, she couldn't do anything. If the wife catches the husband, she couldn't lay a finger on the husband. If a husband caught the wife in infidelity, he could actually kill her under Roman law without a trial. And so think about these, these roles. Paul is saying, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. He's saying this whole system uh, of marriage in the Roman world, in the secular world, there are things not right about it. But what is right is submitting to one another. Husbands, dig up under your wife and lift her up. You need to serve her. Wives, submit to your husbands. There should be a mutual serving of one another. I, have, uh, I was looking at, um, trying to be funny, I was looking at, marriage memes on the internet and finding, uh, I found top 10. So I found the top 10 uh, worst sayings about marriage from our culture. So these are things that there's some amount of truth to them because they're funny, but they're not right. Like there's, they're horribly wrong. So you can laugh, but nobody throw out an amen, okay? It's like, amen, this is not the time for that. Number 10, it is said, so these are, these are the worst, I'm leaving this up here, these are the worst saying. This is not, this is kind of what culture, our world says about marriage. They say, number 10, marriage is the only war where you sleep with the enemy and single men do not even think about marriage until you have mastered the art of war. Yikes. Number nine, marriage is learning how to push down the trash harder so you never have to take it out. And husbands, when you take out the trash, trash, you give the impression that you have just cleaned the whole house. Number eight, on the 50th anniversary, uh, a couple says um, they've been married a long time. They've never considered divorce, murder many times, but never divorce. Number seven, marriage is a relationship where one is always right and the other is the husband. (laughs) Number six, marriage is when a man loses his bachelor's degree and a woman gets a master's degree. Number five, marriage is like having a best friend that does not remember anything you say. And marriage is like pushing each other's buttons repeatedly when bored. Number four, wedding rings, the world's smallest handcuffs. Number three, marriage is like a workshop. The husband works and the wife shops. (laughs) Number two, breaking news, marriage is the number one cause for divorce in America. And number one, marriage is an institution, but who wants to live in an institution? So these are things that that we chuckle about, things that are said about marriages in our day and age. And the overwhelming principle, I think I see it in young people a lot, doing a lot of weddings for young people, is that this sense that, oh, once I get married, everything will be okay, happily ever after. Lots of Hollywood movies end with a couple getting engaged or married, and that's the ending, as if that's not actually the beginning. And people have the, the idea that, oh, in marriage, the other person is there to make them happy, and Paul is throwing that all on its head here and saying, actually, in marriage, in, in singleness, in, where, in your job, in parenting, whatever role in life you're in, it's not about other people making you happy. It's about making them happy. It's about serving them. So let's switch now to uh, the final section here where Paul talks about parents and children's uh, children. <laughs> 
In the Roman world, there was uh, the head of the household, was like the grandfather or whoever is the oldest male in the house. He was called the paterfamilias. I think I've said that right. Aristotle writes about this person, this role in life, and says that the paterfamilias, this head of the household, must make the whole household submit to them. So Aristotle was a secular uh, philosopher. He lived in 300 BC, about 300 years before Christ. And he says the paterfamilias must make everyone else submit to them. Instead, Paul here is saying, actually, the one at the top needs to serve everyone else that, at least in the cultural role, is below him. He says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. And that means to irritate them. It means to infuriate your children. And that was just the opposite. In, in the Roman world, the secular world, uh, fathers, uh, people at the head of the households were told, do whatever it takes to make your people under you submit whether that's abuse or exasperating them, making fun of them, anything you have to do, shaming them to make them submit. And here Paul is saying, don't do that. Actually, serve. And as a parent, I, uh, I have um, four boys. They're all little boys. I can tell you that certainly I don't do everything right 100% of the time. I could tell you stories from this week that would, that would just, yeah, that Joe's not a perfect parent. Nobody's a perfect parent. But what do we do when we have children that, that we've messed up in front of, Paul would say, go to them, serve them, lift them up, apologize to them, make it well with them, go underneath them, dig a hole underneath them to lift them up to the Lord so that you can serve them. Sometimes people say, I think, I'm just thinking about in all these different situations, whether at work and you have a boss or you have, you're, you're a boss and you have employees or whether you're married or whether you're single or whether you're a parent or, or whether you're a, a child. I think there's this common saying amongst Christians at, at church that, oh, I wish I was you know, out there doing something great for God. Instead, I'm stuck with whatever, the dishes. Instead, I'm stuck, you know, being married. Instead, I'm stuck parenting. I wish I was out there doing something awesome and great for God. And if this passage doesn't tell us anything, it tells us that that, that is the work of God. The role in life that you are in, you don't need to change that in order to serve God. You can serve God right where you're at, and that is the work of God. You don't need to go out and do something awesome, spectacular for God, at least in your own mind. But actually, being in the role you are at already in life, you can serve there, and that is the great work of God. I think there is such strength in serving. We get so much out of serving when we serve. There's a counselor here in Manitou that works with the Manitou Elementary School District, and she uh, counsels families. Uh, the old word was dysfunctional families. The, the new term is uh, disorganized families. Um, and so for whatever that's worth. So she counsels families that are in horrible situations, in stress, in financial stress, in abusive situations, families that are broken and very disorganized. And she helps them. And one of the things she does, she, she's uh, a secular counselor. She's not a Christian counselor. But she says, you guys have to find some place where you can serve. Because when you've found some place to serve, you realize that it's not all about you. It's not all about your family and all your problems, but it's about thinking about the things outside of yourself. You can get so much from serving. 
What a wonderful truth from the, from the secular world, from a secular counselor that here Paul is saying for us. At New Life Manitou, there's plenty of things to serve, not just because we need things done, not because there's tables to be set up or chairs to be put away or trash to be pick, picked up, but we often have this, this saying that we at New Life Manitou use the work to get the people done. We use the work to get the people done, not the other way around where we're just using people. I'm, I'm sure uh, many of you that have been around church long enough have, have felt that, oh, in this place I served my tail off and I worked, and then at the end of the day I was just run ragged and then I just had to get out of there because I was just so ragged. Well, we, would, we would never do that. That, that. that would be against the whole point of what we're trying to do as a church by providing opportunities to serve so that we can learn to serve. We get so much out of serving. So in a minute here, I'm going to pray. We're going to take communion. Um, we're going to do an altar call like we usually do. There'll be people up here to pray. And I think I, I want to invite anyone at the end of service to come, to come forward and, and pray for whatever situation in life that you were in. Are, are you uh, wanting to be married? Are, are you in a situation where you have children? Are you in a situation uh, where, where, you're, where you have a job and your boss is really mean to you? Are you in a situation just feeling the conviction of you're in a place and there's pressures on you and then you've given those pressures to people that are under you? Are you serving the Lord in a way that is pleasing to him? Are you submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ? Would you bow your head with me? Would you quiet your heart with me? I know that I'm uh, in need of confessing sins to the Lord. We, we live in relationships, and, and there's so much about relationships that are either broken or in need of healing or in frustrations that we vent to one another. There's so many situations where we could serve, and instead we, we push someone else down. And Lord, would you forgive us of those things, whether those things are with a spouse or with coworkers or with friends with family, with employers. Lord, we are in need of your grace, and, and we pray to you now, saying, Lord, lead us. Lead us through this passage and, and let your word be like that sword that, that cuts into our lives to make us better. You are like the doctor, the surgeon that, that cuts into us when we allow you and your word to, to cut us. And Lord, you take out things that are not meant to be there, and you put new and right things in us so that we might serve you for your glory here on earth. And we pray this in your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Would you stand with me? We're, we're going to say together a, a prayer. It's a, a prayer of confession to prepare our hearts for communion. Would you not just say this with me, but would you pray this prayer with me? Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we might delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen.